Have you ever thought deeply about joy? I would contend that that's gotten a lot harder in our society because of the way that joy has been trivialized. We've wrapped the word joy in cliches. We've stamped it on coffee mugs. We've sewn it on pillows. And we've even displayed it on dish soap. Now, we were bantering a little bit about that uh, as we were getting ready for the service this morning, and Eric Zapchank, who works in the media booth, threw this image up on the screen, (laughs) which I'm not sure says as much about society as it does about Eric. Uh, But be that as it may, I always considered joy to be just an upgraded version of happiness, You know, kind of like upgrading your coffee to a latte, or upgrading from a Chevy to a BMW, or maybe the best, upgrading from children to grandchildren. You know? I never really considered, though, that joy was an upgrade I could choose. Joy always appeared to me to be just a natural byproduct of a life well lived. Some people in life, it seemed to me, were joyful because their life was easier or their financial portfolio was in better shape than mine. Or maybe they had a special connection to God that I just lacked. Whatever the cause, they received joy as a complimentary add-on that I just didn't have. It was a bonus in their life, like something you would get get in one of those late-night infomercials when the announcer has made his pitch and you think he's done, and then he says, but wait, there's more. Whatever it was, if such a bonus was included in my life, I never seemed to find it amid all the packing materials. And if it was there... The impact of joy was fleeting. As it turns out, a lot of us live joyless lives because we don't really understand what joy is. We don't know what joy does. We don't know how to discover joy or what to do with it once we find it. We assume joy can be taken lightly, capturing it in our free time like fireflies in a mason jar. But joy is much more valuable than that, it turns out. And like most of our treasures we pursue in life, it's more difficult to come by. If we're going to pursue joy, it takes courage. It takes backbone. It takes intentionality. If we want to pursue joy, sometimes it's going to take a crisis that will send us on a desperate search for joy. Well, I figured out this week that I've been hanging around Westridge for about nine years now, which just startled me a little bit. I didn't think it'd been that long. And then I realized I'm Kind of like that stray dog you feed one time and then you just can't get rid of. (laughs) That was my best analogy of how long I've been here. Here's one thing, though, as I thought about that, that 
I have loved about Westridge from the very beginning. And it's that we are honest as a church. We are honest about the fact that every single one of us has been beaten up and bruised and battered about life. All of us have been through those difficult times, or at least those times in our life that are confusing circumstances of life. Agreed? Yeah. And we are willing as individuals and as a church to just be authentic about that. You know, we've been through tough times. We're going to share our experiences and we're going to share together our willingness to fight back against those times. We're going to survive those times and we're going to do that together. And that's what binds us together in part as a church family. I think that people who do that, who face their struggles together, are like warriors engaged in a mighty battle. Some of us here have faced disease together. Maybe your fight wasn't disease. Maybe your fight involved a traumatic injury, or maybe it was a foreclosure or a bankruptcy. Maybe in your life you were handed divorce papers, or you walked through the death of a loved one. Maybe you feel imprisoned by depression or trapped in a relationship with a cantankerous boss or spouse or maybe cantankerous children. Or maybe you're one of a bunch of people in the room who are just doing the struggle every day of trying to stay sober. The struggles we all face are different, but we all have in common that none of us gets through life unscathed. All of us are in a fight. We know that because when we look in the mirror every day, we see the scars. When we look deep in our souls, we see the scars. And we know that every day we're in a fight. We know we're in it together, but we know that there's part of this fight we have to do for ourselves. We know we're in a fight today. We know we're going to be in the fight tomorrow. And whether we pick the fight or the fight picked us, we have an important choice to make. What weapon are we going to take into this battle? We're going to choose cynicism, spite, choose one of my favorites, control. Sometimes we choose complaint, denial, withdrawal. But there is another choice that's available to us. And in this new series that we're launching today that will run through the month of August, I want to suggest that we can choose to fight back with joy. Now, we don't often choose that, to be fair. We don't choose it because I think we've misunderstood joy. It's become a less attractive option to us over time because of our misunderstanding. We hear the word and we equate it with a chirpy disposition. You know those people? We equate it with a candy-coated emotion or a saccharine fantasy. And I'll just be honest for me, maybe you're there too, the last thing I want around me when life comes crashing in, is somebody who's characterized by that kind of a personality. Somebody who, when life comes crashing in, is constantly telling me it's going to be okay. 
everything's going to work out because I'm a bit of a realist. I know life is going to change. It's not going to be the same. And there is the possibility it's not going to work out. It's not going to be okay. I feel like that person's out of touch with reality. They're only serving to irritate me. You mind if I work this out while I'm up here? I feel like I'm doing a good job of it, you know? And it's not costing me 120 bucks an hour to do it. They're only serving to irritate me. They're not helping. Here's the good news. The Bible agrees with me. I had to search for it, but it does. People like that are not especially helpful when life gets tough. Proverbs says... They're like a person who takes away your garment on a cold day. They're like a person who pours vinegar in an open wound. They're a person who sings songs to a heavy heart. That's a verse I want stitched on a big old pillow. So that I can smack that chirpy person with it when they start to sing songs to my heavy heart. We'll be selling those in the cafe after the service this morning. By half of you in the room are going to buy it. And the other half of you are going to be ducking from that pillow as it swings. We need to not equate the word joy with that kind of a personality. That's not fair. That's not right. That's not what joy means. Don't dismiss joy quickly. Joy serves its useful purpose in helping us fight life's battles. So before we go any further in this series and we talk about how to use joy to fight our battles, we need to understand what joy is, where it comes from, what it's anchored to. So let's take a look. First thing I would just say is that joy does not deny reality. In fact, joy faces it head on in spite of what the outcome is could be, no matter what the outcome could be. That's why you're going to find that joy has a lot of different faces. Joy can be loud, exuberant, like somebody that's jumping around, shouting and laughing, like somebody that just won the Mega Millions yesterday. Joy can look like that. Joy can also be peaceful and tranquil, tranquil, like a couple that's out enjoying a good dinner together. They're enjoying their relationship, enjoying all the good gifts that God gives us in this life. There's a mixture of emotion and action and responses and joy that are as broad as the creativity of our God. People who are experiencing joy might write a song. They might give gifts from their joy. They might cook a meal. They might eat a meal. They might celebrate with friends. People who experience joy might cry or they might laugh. Happiness is a part of joy, but it's not all of joy. There's so much more. Happiness or joy is delighting, it's shouting, it's laughing, playing, blessing and being blessed. And for the gifted few, joy might even involve dancing. Not for me. It's not a part of my gift mix, sadly. We don't just feel joy when joy happens. Our whole being responds when we're filled with joy. Now, if we want to really understand joy, we have to dig into what joy is anchored to. 
We need to know that true and lasting joy is not anchored to our emotions. It's not anchored to life's circumstances. At its core, our joy stems from an abiding sense of God's fierce love for us. Understanding God's love is foundational to our faith. We talk about God's love a lot around here. I do it primarily because it is so core to our faith, and I don't think any of us will ever fully understand or appreciate just how much God loves us. I never will. We'll never experience a love like God's in our lifetime in any relationship, ever. It is beyond human capacity. God's love protects us, Scripture teaches. It guides us. It grows us. His love inspires us to trust Him more. It gives us courage to face whatever comes in our life. And when we live every day with a growing awareness of God's love, our hearts are opened up to begin to, be ex- to experience and be filled with His joy. The Bible describes God's love with words like steadfast, everlasting, immovable, unchanging. But by far, my favorite description of God's love is in Romans. It's like Paul is writing and all of a sudden he's just filled with this explosion of joy at what God's love is like. He can't contain himself. And he says, I'm convinced that nothing, nothing, can ever separate us from God's love. Not death, not life, not angels or demons, not our fears about today, not our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. There's no power in the sky above. There's not anything on earth below that can separate me from God's love. Indeed, nothing in all of creation can take me away from God's love that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. It just flows out of Paul to tell us it's unchanging. It can never be taken away from us. It is a constant in our lives. And it's not just a head knowledge we need. It needs to penetrate to the very fiber of our being how much God loves us. And when it does, it strengthens our resolve to the point we can face any battle, any challenge that life throws at us. And we can do it constantly We can do it confidently because we know God is with us and He is for us. His love will allow us to transcend our circumstances with joy. That's the beginning place for the joy we want. A confident, defiant joy. If you look closely at Scripture, beginning in Genesis 1, you find that this joy has been a part of our story from the beginning of time, from creation itself. In fact, all of creation, the Bible teaches, is founded in joy. At the beginning of creation, the Bible teaches that it was separated out into days. And each day, God, it's like God had a punch list of things he was going to do. And when he finished the day, he looked at what he had done and he said a phrase. So on the first day, God simply separated light from dark. And I say simply, and then I think about that. I can't even fathom what it was like for light and dark to be mingled together. It's like you flip on a light, darkness goes away. But before God did this, they were mingled together. And I sat and thought about this week, and my mind just got a little fuzzy, and I just quit. 
But God separated them so that there was light and dark. And at the end of that, he stepped back on the first day and he said, it's good. And then each of the next four days, he went about the task of creating our world. He separated the land and the water and created the dry land for us to move around on. And he went, that's good. I mean, it's like you, you picture Jesus and the Holy Spirit there with God, and it's like when God finished creating, they, they did a little high five or a fist bump and went, look at that. I mean, no, that's not too shabby, right? You know, it's good. This joy flowing out of God as our world, He was creating it. And on the last day, the sixth day, God created what was the pinnacle of our world. He created man and woman, and step back. And in verse 31, he looked at everything. The Bible says God looked at it all and said, now that, that's very good. And you read the beautiful language of Genesis 1, and what begins to emerge is this picture of kind of a, an artist's high that happens. When an artist creates this beautiful masterpiece, and as the last brush stroke hits the canvas and the artist steps back and surveys what is created, there is this joy, this wonder at what's been created. And God says, it's very good. God's joy is woven into the fabric of creation. Beyond that, the Bible says that we are created for joy. You read in verse 26, God says to the Trinity gathered around, He says, let's create man in our image. We are created with the same capacity for playfulness, for laughter, for joy that God Himself has. And so, God has filled our world with divine gifts that produce wonder and joy in us. The Bible mentions scores of them. I just pulled six out of Scripture. Think about the joy that these things produce in us when we experience these wonderful gifts from God. A cheerful word. A good day's work. One verse in the Psalms mentions three beautiful gifts from God. A good bottle of wine, extra virgin olive oil, and fresh bread right out of the oven. You see your smiles at that one. The Bible also mentions other good gifts. Sex. The birth of a child. Or a 30th, 40th, 50th wedding anniversary. We have a God whose very nature is joy. He created a world and filled it with wonder and joy. You can't experience a sunset in the mountains, a sunrise over the ocean. You can't look at the tapestry of colors in fall foliage or the blanket of 
of color in summer flowers over a prairie and doubt that our God intended this world to inspire joy. Think about the life of Jesus. You read the New Testament and you you learn that Jesus crashed into our world with the angels broadcasting, I bring you good news of great joy, which is to be for all people. Before leaving our world, Jesus left this promise. He said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus arrives in joy, departs in joy, and calls us into great joy in a relationship with Him. In fact, Scripture teaches that there is no greater joy in all of heaven for God and all of the angels. There is no greater joy in all of heaven than when one of us decides to follow Jesus with all of our heart. Not only are we founded in joy, created in joy, but we're also destined for joy. One of the greatest promises given to us as children of God is that this life, with all of its troubles, with all of its challenges, is not the end of the story. Everything that's happening here is just temporary. The Apostle John records the book of Revelation as a vision received from God about the end of time. And in it, an angel is speaking to him, describing what heaven is going to be like. And he says, at that point, God's home will be among us as his people. He'll live among us and we'll be his people. God himself will be with us and he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. And there'll be no more death, no more sorrow, No more crying. No more pain. All these things will be gone forever. That will be a place where joy is all we know. C.S. Lewis, in pondering what heaven would be like, said, joy is the serious business of heaven. The truth about joy is fairly straightforward when you read the scriptures. Joy is our beginning point. Joy is our final destination. And we are hardwired for joy in our days here. But if you think about it, the truth isn't the challenging part. The challenge is how do you discover and pursue joy in your days here? How do we live in the joy that's available to us? We're going to talk in depth about that over the next four weeks. What I have learned, I'll give you just a glimpse. What I have learned, and I've learned it the hard way, is that simply looking at someone who's facing challenges and telling them they need to live in joy, that's a pretty tough pill for them to swallow. And it's even tougher to execute. Best as I can tell, God teaches us about joy not in lectures, but in the laboratory of life. And 
God has always appeared to me to be an unconventional teacher. He often hauls clarity into our lives through very confusing circumstances. Because of that, many of the lessons we will learn about joy come in roundabout ways. He may use adversity to cause us to look at some of the inner inner workings of our heart. He'll use the struggles of life to force us to rediscover our need for Him. And as I said at the beginning, it sometimes takes a crisis to send us on a search for joy. But at the end of that journey, the greatest joy comes in discovering that all along the way, we have been continually surrounded and supported by the fierce love of God who promises He will never let us go.